Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the UX world. Today, Dustin and myself are joined by Oren Jacobs, the CEO and co-founder of Pullstring. Pullstring is a conversation design platform uh, which it caters for both designers and developers. The, the two of you can work together in one platform to create epic voice user experiences. And today we're, we're going to touch on Pullstring Converse and, and Pullstring Conversation Cloud, which is what powers Converse. But most of the conversation is going to be about conversation design. And we get into the essence of what it takes to create a good conversation with a machine. Um, we get into all kinds of detail around the use of the different kind of voices and tone and personality and whether you should be recreating uh, humanistic personas or whether or not you should be using the built-in Alexa voice, whether you should be recording your own audio. We discuss a lot about audio and audio quality, production quality and how designing conversational experiences may be similar or not to creating films. Oren has vast experience creating films. He worked at Pixar for a long time, worked on Toy Story and Finding Nemo and we're going to find out a lot more about that. And also how conversational design and voice experience design is akin to designing games for your likes of PlayStation or Xbox, for example. Uh, we get really into detail about this. It's really hard to do an intro for a conversation that goes in lots of different ways and gets extremely deep into many different areas. But it is a vastly interesting conversation, hugely interesting conversation, which we will get into right about now. Let's welcome Oren Jacob to the VUX World Podcast. Oren, hello. How are you guys doing today? Very well, very well. We have Dustin Coates here with us as well. Hello there, Dustin. Hey, everyone. So Dustin must be pretty happy with France's progression in the World Cup so far. Oh, I'm loving it. <laughs> and Oren, are you on either side of any fence or are you just there as a willing neutral uh, I've loved the beautiful game my whole life, uh, so I enjoy watching high, a high level of soccer, no matter who's playing. Uh, that's sometimes a little more challenging to find here in the States, so I was, I've was i been thrilled with the cup in general. Uh, there are a lot of surprises going on, and looking forward to the final. I'm just sad that the teams who got in the semis, only two got to go on. Um, I thought all four teams were worthy of being in the finals, so I'm glad I'm excited for France and Croatia on, on uh, Sunday, so yeah. see how it goes bring it on well this will be going out on monday so it's we'll know who it is by this point um there'll be plenty of sore heads probably in both countries either <laughs> from drowning their sorrows <laughs> or from celebrating but i am i think i'm on france's side on sunday so hopefully by this point france will be world cup winners that'll be nice <laughs> we'll see. So, I'm certainly happy, uh, excited for France. They have a great team as well, too. Um, and Croatia, being such a uh, country of that size population, to get this far is remarkable as an achievement. Um, the yeah, level of yeah. play is spectacular. So that is very true. Yeah, I'm watching with the kids, and we'll be sharing everybody on. Yeah, it is a very, very small country, actually, and beautiful country as well. We went there a few years back. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, we'll find out what happens. Well, I, do, I do have to say, I just say, I'm excited for four years from now for the U.S. to actually be competing in the World Cup. So I'm looking yes. forward to that as well, too. Yes, yeah, and, and hosting. And, and, yeah, we'll eight years from now hosting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, right. we'll make it in eight years from now, so we'll do better than we did this year for sure. In eight years from now, that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to schedule a trip in eight years for the three of us to go and watch a game of footy over in America for the World Cup. We'll see you here. <laughs> nice. So, Oren, welcome to the VUX World Podcast. Do you want to tell uh, the listeners of the podcast a little bit about, uh, so you're the, the CEO and, and co-founder of Pullstring. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, first of all, and then we'll kind of have a bit of a discussion about Pullstring after that? Happy to. Um, so yes, uh, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, I'm, I'm Oren Jacob, the, as you said, CEO and co-founder of Pullstring. Um, um, most of my career was spent here in the Bay Area. In fact, all of us in the Bay Area. Um, I previously spent 20 and change years at Pixar uh, making movies like Toy Story and Finding Nemo. And uh, for a bunch of, bunch of years at the studio, also ran the software team there as the director of software. 
and our group was responsible uh, for building the animation system uh, that today is used uh, in all the films since Brave and subsequent are um, animated in that system. Uh, after doing that, for a, had a great time working at Pixar and uh, won a bunch of awards and made some really fun movies. Uh, in 2011, Martin and I connected and talked about uh, starting a company together, and that became uh, what today is Full Strength. We've been working here in the field of um, computer conversation and now voice apps and voice design uh, and software to build um, great interactive voice experiences for many years, and happy to talk about that with you guys today. Fantastic. So that must have been a pretty interesting time working at, working at Pixar. If you want to work in movies, it's probably the best place in the world to do it. It's a lot of fun, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, working on the first Toy Story was, of course, such a treat. It's such a historical project. Um, sort of defined the field of computer animation uh, mm. at, a, at a theatrical level. Um, working on Nemo, though, was just a joy. Mm. Um, although probably the, the most challenging work uh, was probably on Toy Story 2, which is between those two films. That was the late 90s. Um, I was, if those of you are listening to the podcast who like to dig up old... Hacker News threads and Reddit threads. Uh, there's a famous set of stories around us actually having the film be deleted um, about a year yeah. and a half for release. We lost the servers that were hosting the movie, and I was one of the folks that was, unfortunately, not, I didn't cause the deletion. I was one of the people on the rescue side who was trying to get the film back. Um, and that was a complicated time then because uh, we didn't have today things like Dropbox or Google Cloud or Amazon Web Services. You had some servers in a closet. And a bunch of them, um, when things went wrong, you had to fix it yourself. So that was a different era um, of developing software mm-hmm. in general. That's very different than today. Um, I'm quite excited. We have real cloud services now with real storage online. You can get to at very inexpensive cost prices and real bandwidth and mobile devices, all things that are now here that were not here 20 years ago, right mm. in place. Well, it's nice. I, I had an experience um, a couple of months back with one of the very first episodes of the podcast. Uh, recorded it, and we did a really good show with with the guest. And came to do the edit, and exactly the same thing happened. I'd lost all of the audio, so it's a it's a joy to know that some of the biggest film houses in the world mm-hmm. are experiencing or have experienced the same thing that I have. <laughs> so, were you? Yeah, more... well, it was two decades ago, so it was a while ago. But when you yeah. lose a movie, you lose you know, a quarter million files and terabytes, terabytes, I don't know, petabytes, many, many, many terabytes of data get lost. And the recovery process ended up being a bunch of us over a weekend for a part of it. I think about 100,000 individual files had to be hand verified and wow. gift against the various mm. we tried to recover. Um, that was not fun. So I'm glad you got <laughs> yours back too. I support recovering things. <laughs> wow, Everybody that's... listening should have a sensible backup strategy. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I am recording this backup on a H1 Zoom recorder. So there we are. <laughs> so were you more kind of on, on the sort of technical side then? I'm presuming you weren't doing the actual animation or the writing or something like that. Were you kind of more on the actual, on the technical side of the creation of this stuff, of the films? Yeah, as, uh, the, the job title while working in film, uh, film production was called a technical director. And I was responsible for in different times building models, so the shapes of characters, building sets, um, lighting those and illuminating them, uh, working on visual effects. Um, so maybe most notably, I helped build Mrs. Potato Head, the Toy Story 2, um, <laughs> working on her body shape and form and arms and legs. That was a big part of my life. Um, built uh, part of uh, Francis and Slim for a Buzz Life. Um, part of Woody's hat. That was fun. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm finding Nemo uh, as the technical director for the whole film, and that uh, role actually was responsible for all visual effects and all technical work on the, on the show. Um, so notably, there's a lot of water in Nemo, and how to build water that you can control or not is a very different question than how you build water that looks like water in the real world. And there's actually a, an analogy there to what we do here um, at Pulse Train. Um, the idea, I guess I'll phrase the problem this way. We started working on the water in Nemo, and the director, Andrew, and the producer, Graham, gave my team and I the challenge of, hey, let's see how sophisticated a set of tools you can build to synthetically create the surface of the water and the water underneath um, the ocean in Nemo. So we went off several months, and we came back, and we picked about four or five video clips of my National Geographic that they'd shot and various documentaries, and we'd match those clips with our own version of water, trying to make a one-to-one, identical-looking video clip. We came to that review, and we asked Andrew, the director, hey, can you tell which one was ours that we faked, which one was the real one from National Geographic? 
And he stared at the cliffs left to right and left to right and left to right. And we made him guess, you know, A, B, D, A across the four cliffs. And he's like, actually, you got half right and half wrong. So the fact that we've tricked you suggests that we can recreate photorealistic water in movement, fully illuminated, as per National Geographic was filming. So I think that we're ready to make a movie now. Cool, we got that. And Andrew says, that's all very interesting, but can you make the water more angry? <laughs> well, Why, what does angry mean? Well, I don't know. So I, I tell you that short story, that little story because the idea of recreating a thing um, at direct you know, human fidelity, at human perception, um, is an interesting exercise, but it's not actually what you need to do to build a new thing yourself. And when I take that, that, that example I just brought over here, into the field of building voice apps and designing really high fidelity conversation between people and computers back and forth. Um, the task is not to mimic exactly what humans do, but to get the qualities of conversation we have amongst ourselves that are more naturally present in the conversations we have with Alexa skills and assistant actions and the various ways we talk um, back and forth and use voice to connect people and computers today. Um, and the important part of that is um, how do we control that and craft that conversation, design it um, and build it and have it show up in the world in a way that sort of meets the needs of the folks who want to build their voice apps as opposed to just recreate what it's like talking to somebody else. Because we're going to do that. We're not talking to each other right now on a phone call, um, recording here. So the idea of how to control things in a way that when they happen um, is realistic and believable and engaging and exciting um, and very familiar to how conversation normally is with us is a goal of the field, but not to just directly mimic what it's like talking to other people. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, what would some of those? What would an example of that be? Then, have you got any examples of what of what that might look like in terms of not directly trying to replicate conversation, but and not mimicking it, but trying to pick out what the essence of it is? Yeah. I, uh, you, you mean examples um, in how to how to build and design, or examples in market today? Well, either to be honest, yeah, 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 either or both, yeah, yeah. Just to just to kind of because I think that that it's a it's a really good analogy that you've just kind of said that I think it might just help for people to kind of frame it in their mind if we could just kind of either if, if there's an example out there that you're aware of or in, in terms of designing what that would kind of an example of what that might look like. Yeah, so let's pick up one example. Um, if uh, or one way to to measure um, how successful the design is of an of an Alexa skill in market. I'm speaking generally, not just the ones built in Polstring, but probably speaking, take your favorite Alexa skill out there. Um, if you talk to Alexa or you talk to Google Assistant um, and you begin to ask, ask questions uh, and then change topics. So if you're, let's say, talking to Alexa and you're shopping and you're three items deep in your broccoli, milk, and bread, and then you want to go set a kitchen timer, and then you want to go uh, change what's uh, streaming on Pandora. You do across a couple of things across Alexa. Um, how well does um, Alexa accommodate the change in conversation topic? Um, how naturally does that happen? Do you have to formally exit a skill before you enter another one? Can you just ask for the timer change and then ask for the new Pandora music and does that work properly or not? And what you're seeing there is uh, mimicking how easy it is for us as people to change topics or not to each other. Um, and sometimes when you're, for example, speaking to a bank teller, you don't really ask them about your driver's license and your DMV or your IRS taxes. You ask them about your bank balance. So in real life, certain discussions that you have stay on topic and other ones, perhaps with your spouse at home, can be quite pre-filling over dinner. And that's an interesting way to measure um, how successful a given Alexa skill or Alexa self is, um, is to think about how easy or hard it is to change topics while pre-filling in the conversation and how accommodating those systems are of doing that. And so, so Warren, this is maybe a little afield of what you just mentioned, but one thing that I really caught on was we don't want to mimic what humans do. And, you know, the, maybe everyone was caught off guard or, or very surprised with the Google duplex announcement, which, which really with the, the filler words and everything really tries to mimic the human conversation. What did you, what did you make of that? Um, yeah, I have a couple of comments about that. Um, I mean, first comment sort of from a curious perspective. If you look at some of the work, the really high fidelity work was built um, in Polstring software today. So I can point to um, those viewers, listeners here in the States, uh, the Westworld skill, 
uh, with HBO 360 and Andrew that was just put out recently. Um, that's the most professionally recorded audio and the full production sound effects and background music and the rest and feels very much like you're having a conversation with the actual characters from the show very directly. I um, mean, not hearing Alexa's voice as, as a, the, the viewers should know what TTS is, the text-to-speech. So TTS voice, a synthetic voice that's rendered to sound in real time. That's what Alexa is typically using when you hear her talk. And that sounds today a little metallic, kind of like a robot speaking. In the Westworld skill, that's not the case at all. You're hearing professionally recorded voice actors properly sound designed in the rest, so it sounds very rich and embellished. You're new. Not much of a rant on you. Not that one, Clem. They're here for something else. You must be here to play the game. Well, you came to the right place and the right person. I'm Rose, the madam of this here saloon and the only person you can trust. I'm sure you've heard all about it. The world is unhinged. You and I are beginning to realize things. And now we've got a thirst for freedom. It's out there, at the center of the maze. This maze has three levels, memory, improvisation, and eventually self-interest. To pass each level, answer the questions as they are asked. Some of them are more important than others, but every choice can bring you closer to freedom or send you spiraling to the edges, to death. It's not easy, but I can tell you one in on it. Do you? The Google Duplex experience oddly crosses those two things. So that is a text-to-speech synthetic voice, just a really, really good one that Google put together. Um, in, fact, in fact, a spectacularly good one to Google's credit. Let's throw some love in direction. They deserve it for that. Um, in addition to um, the quality of the TTS voice Google um, built has now in their hands um, that we heard in that experience is intonation, um, it's pauses, um, the vocal cadence that felt very natural, I would say. That's generally a word called prosody in the space we talk about. The, pro the prosodic quality of that voice was really A double plus. They also, to your point, added in pauses and breaks, a couple ums, some ahs, and broke up uh, the lines of dialogue as well too. Those are tricks we've been using here for you know half a decade in pull strings work. It was great to see that come into a fully realized TTS sort of runtime voice. Um, and I think that Google went really far with that, um, making it increasingly harder to tell if you're speaking to a synthetic voice or a recorded one. Um, so that's an important event in the field. Uh, I think the, that's uh, grounded in some research they published, I believe called WaveNet, I think over the past year or so, that gives some of the, um, academic and algorithmic backing to how they got to that level of, of quality in the TTS voice. And I'm sure you'll see other competitors, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, and the rest, um, continue to lift their game as well in that space too. Uh, so the idea that you could generate what sounds very close to and assume may soon be indistinguishable from a human voice actor speaking live onto a, onto a speakerphone like I am here with you, um, and instead, create that in runtime um, with the computer synthetic voice um, is an important event in the field. Um, as far as that being like a weird reaction folks had to that, I think that's, that seemed to be centered around in the example that was first shown to the outside world, the Google did not choose to say, this is a computer calling you on trying to book a reservation. Google has, has asserted publicly many times since then, they will do that in actual deployment of this service. Um, I, that seemed to me, observing from the outside, to be one of the primary objections that folks felt they might not know they're being talked to by a computer. Would that not be cool? Or is that alarming or kind of weird in some way? I think the direct disclosure, which again, Google has said it do is doing, and then I believe last week and a week or two ago, when some press folks got to try Duplex, Google set that up for them. All the reports that came back from there indicated that Google had made that change and that uh, the folks who tried it were clearly indicated to the computer calling you a monkey reservation and went on with the conversation, which mm. I think diffuses at least what I understood to be most of the controversy around that. Do, that's interesting because do you think that that would encourage some people? Because we've kind of touched on Google Duplex a few times or, over the past few months, and some people's reaction is, well, if I just knew it was a computer phoning me, I'd just hang up like I do with all the PPI calls. So do you think that 
that will actually do it a disservice or not? It's hard to answer that question in general. So I'll try in the specific. In the case of restaurants who are getting called by a Google TTS voice to try to find a table for four or Friday at seven o'clock, it's because someone is asked at a table. And so the restaurant, if they're hanging up, is losing business directly. That's kind of why Duplex is such a googly, provocative kind of product. Um, it's not in the restaurant's interest to hang that phone up. Although they still may do that because they're annoyed by the call. Like I can't speak to individual people and their reaction. But that call's come, presumably, given how Google talks about that product, that call's coming to a restaurant because someone has requested that table. Um, and what's available online to things like open table are, is, is not sufficient. They've not found inventory to book that, that restaurant table. And my wife and I want to go on a nice date with our friends on Friday night. I want a table. Um, so yeah, I didn't, to Google's, from like a nerd, a nerd geeky perspective as I am, Google's product there poses a set of very interesting questions and tensions as you just commented there. Like, will people hang up or do they want the business? Mm-hmm. Um, do they want their table booked by this online but kind of faked offline phone call thing when they've only given some inventory to open table but held inventory back to talk to the customers directly on the phone? Um, and that's sort of a provocation Google has put into the space to bring restaurant booking online where restaurants may do that, but also quite enjoy meeting their customers directly on the phone and then in person. Um, Google kind of wiggling itself in between restaurants and their customer base um, is, it'd be, I guess, this way. It'd be very, very hard for a restaurant to build out themselves. They don't have the technical resources all of Google has. So Google is using those resources to build a way to wedge themselves between customers and restaurants, which customers want. They want the table, but restaurants prefer the relationship to be direct. So we're going to test all those rubber bands in tension now and see which way that falls out. Um, I think you're probably right, though. Some folks will hang up, some will take the call, and more tables will get booked. It's kind of how I think it'll play out. That's sort of a medium answer to your question. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's good. It's good, yeah. So just on that then, um, there's, we had a kind of a bit of a discussion going on Twitter a few a couple of weeks back. So we, we interviewed Steve Worswick, of uh, Mitsuku, he built Mitsuku. It's it's the world's number one chatbot, and we were talking about conversation design. And what he was saying is that the the Turing test. Um, he doesn't think that it's a very good test because it's supposed to be trying to kind of mimic a human as opposed to giving someone the answer to whatever it is that they're looking for. So. Dustin was mentioning there around Google Duplex putting the ahs and ums and umhums in and stuff like that, which is mimicking human behavior and you kind of referred beforehand about it's not necessarily about mimicking it's about taking what the essence is and trying to incorporate that so do you think that when i mean let's draw you not just google duplex not just uh, like mitsuku but also alexa and google home do you think that when you're designing conversations that making it sound natural like that making it almost kind of personify a human is a good idea, or do you think it's unnecessary? What what side of the sort of fence do you sit on on that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, can I, I want to talk about that like for the next six hours, so I'll try to give you the. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that characterizing human speech and human speech patterns is super important in the field um, because things like ums and ahs and pauses and increases in pitch and decreases in pitch and speeding up really fast and slowing down a lot um, indicate a lot of additional information as we talk to each other. Those are all the tools we use in spoken language. Um, I think that that full palette should be available to any voice designer and voice experience designer. Um, and that's why Google's work uh, as part of what Duplex demonstrated is so it's, I think, meaningful to the field. Um, having said all that, uh, a lot of uh, picking a, a different example off in the left here, a lot of fictional characters in conversation have been built with Pulstring software. So let's cite the uh, Hello Barbie experience for a minute. I'm happy to talk about the characters in Destiny 2, um, Westworld or other ones. Let's go to Barbie for a second. Um, that was a professionally recorded voice actress who was the voice of Barbie in the experiences that were built in Pulstring software. And so she is a world-class voice actress and does all the things that a voice actor actress would do um, in a mic in a sound booth and emphasize things and pause for dramatic effects at different points and, and, and just be a, a excellent um, 
little, little cuter. <laughs> and so, um, uh, elocution on her part, um, pronunciation and emphasis and what it means to really put meaning behind dialogue. So in that case, that's a fully embellished um, voice, which we love talking to. And kids will do that for hours at a time. That's that Turing test comment you made. Yeah, we have m- not many, hundreds and hundreds of kids would talk to Hello Barbie for over an hour in individual sessions. So that, that test got blown past years ago by not only us, many of the companies too. So I don't, I, I agree with that comment. It's not the best thing to be fussing about going forward, the Turing test. But given that that experience was a synthetic conversation with pre-recorded audio for a professional actor, why would we then fuss about a synthetic voice that sounds more natural? If you're fussing about it because it sounds natural to, in a deceitful way, like, you are a computer, you're tricking me or not, well, had they just recorded somebody asking those questions, that would have sounded perfectly human on the phone call mm-hmm. um, because it was, in fact, a human being recorded. So having said all that, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> so it is the purpose, is the, is the great result of all that research and development work to build a synthetic voice that sounds indistinguishable from a human, really worth however millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars are spent developing that when you could have just recorded somebody else because it already sounded like that. What's more interesting is, now I, I think, now that you have the tools with which um, you characterize human speech and you can control it and direct it and play it like an instrument, like you would a MIDI keyboard, now what new sounds, what new voices could be constructed, and can we get to, for example, a Muppet voice from Miss Piggy to Kermit and go that far off axis? Could you recreate the voices Mel Blank could do from Bugs Bunny to Daffy Duck? And if you look at the folks who have remarkable talent in throwing their voice into crazy sounding speech, if you give that set of tools to a voice designer now, I bet you, like digital music did for instruments, you're not stuck with violin, guitar, piano anymore. You can do all synthetic music as well. So I'm excited about the voices that will be designed using characterized human speech um, that will sound like new and exciting and voices that aren't, we can't recreate in our own voice boxes, but you can um, with computer technology. And that'd be super cool. that whole riff is, the, is a related very much to people ask Pixar why your movies don't look like reality because we designed them. If we could make that waterfall like a waterfall, I'd just throw the waterfall in Yosemite and be done. But it's already in Yosemite. I'm trying to make this sort of thing not be that, and I want to design it and craft it in its own way. Um, I think that same thing will happen in this field too. Digital art generally um, brings that to the table. If you look at what you can paint in Photoshop, it is not what Monet could paint with oil on canvas. Um, not to say that that's not good or bad, it's just a new, having characterized how to construct visual pictures um, with color and combining them and layering them and the rest, you can then do a bunch of new cool things that you couldn't do before. Um, and I think that'll be the most exciting place that synthetic voices go. Mm. I like the analogy between, that's a couple of good analogies there, but you're right in terms of if you recorded a piece of music with a load of live instruments and it was recorded all through live instruments like maybe it's like the Beatles or something, there's a very different sound to something that has been purely built with digital technology, like in a, in a synthesizer or whatever, like a, like a drum and bass kind of track or something like that. There's, there's a dis- real distinguished difference, isn't there? And I, I think some people like that, some won't. Like, yeah. not everybody likes all music. But the fact that, that the palette has now been increased, we can go beyond what sounded like Siri five years ago or Alexa three years ago to what Google did with Duplex a few weeks ago. Um, imagine you're two, three, four, five years in the future. Yeah, somebody will probably spend a bunch of energy, like, directly recreating either picking your favorite American politician, Barack Obama or Donald Trump, sounded like. That will probably happen. More interestingly, will be the new voices that are created. Um, and taking an example of customers we don't have today, so I can talk about them freely for a second. If you're Coke and your Pepsi, speaking to obvious, you know, blue-red team here, um, what will the voice of Coke sound like and the voice of Pepsi sound like? They probably better not be the same. The packaging's different, the design's different, the flavor's different, they market differently, they're different products, although both are soda water. Um, and as they go into the voice space, what voice will Coke design and what voice will Pepsi design? 
And today, you can differentiate between Siri and Alexa. Those things sound different. So we do have differences in how synthetic voices sound already in market today. But I'm excited about the new tools and controls and techniques that will let that become raised to the level that Google has shown us in market and duplex, and then design those things. Um, and that'll be a super fun, fun world to be in. And so talking about the sort of not almost sound branding, but voice branding, do you, do you think skill builders or brands today should start moving towards that? Yes. Maybe the question is how fast. <laughs> um, the, when, when I'm in my house, um, my Amazon Echoes got Alexa on it, and my kids are talking back to one of the skills, um, which we have many of them on a pretty regular basis, that opportunity is remarkably special because you're having a live conversation with, if you're from a brand's perspective, perhaps one of your direct customers and talking back and forth to them as if you would send like a sales rep on an airplane in a car, knocked on my front door and sat at my dining room table hmm. for like two minutes and it's all the way back home. But instead they're there right now. And um, th- th- I think a lot of folks that they started in the field in the past year or two have been quite happy to use the default Alexa voice and the default Google Assistant voice. And that- that's a fine way to start to get in the space and understand what it's like to craft an interactive voice experience to begin with. But it is a- I'm absolutely certain that those voices will differentiate over time, and they should. Um, and then to your, having said that, to your direct question, how should brands get involved in the space? I think the longer that you wait, the farther behind that you are. Um, so maybe you believe voice is not going to be a thing. You don't care. Okay, I guess then I wouldn't get involved. But it's kind of like saying mobile's not a thing either. That I mean, good luck with that one. <laughs> there are some companies, and back to the restaurant example, some restaurants just want you to meet in person. They don't want to be on, on the internet broadly. And okay, then you can do that. But if you're a brand, you clearly belong to some medium to large size company, and you have many, many customers and many demographics, no matter what the word brand kind of means, that size thing, um, it seems insane to me to ignore the purchasing rates, growth rate of usage, um, and deployment of voice-first devices and experiences over the past two or three years. I think that if you looked at a field in 2012 or 13, which as we were company back then, only Siri was around, and it wasn't clear how broad or not Apple was going to open up or not. But given what Amazon Alexa has done and the Google system behind it as well, too, those devices are being sold at a rate faster than uh, the iPhone was when it came out year over year. I think you'll be at 50% market penetration in North America within the next like two years or something of the sort, which is the fastest uh, consumer home electronic adoption of anything in history ever. And with those stats staring you in the face, this day as a brand, I'll oh, figure out a voice in 2025. I, that seems like a very poor choice in my, my opinion. Mm. Uh, in particular, because to learn how to navigate and be successful in this space is going to be challenging for everybody. This is super not web and it's super not mobile. Um, search is different. Discovery is different. Um, shopping and, e- and e-commerce through voice is different. Um, and to find the design is different itself, like how you design experiences and what you can do with them. Um, so being a part of that, of that, um, process of understanding how to work in the space successfully and how your brand will best fit into that area, I think is absolutely important to begin doing like six months or 12 months ago. <laughs> and we'll wrap up on the voice on the voice side, on the kind of which voices to use and stuff and, and conversation mimicking in a sec. But one final question on that. We said, you mentioned around, you know, in the future, you'll be able to kind of create your own voices and, you know, whether you can mimic Kermit the Frog or whatever. But what about right at this moment in time? Do you think that brands entering the space or even, you know, hobbyists or developers and whoever is kind of getting involved in this space now, should would you recommend for them to be using the built-in standard Alexa voice or Google Assistant voices? Or do you think they should go down the route of, which I suppose is probably the only other route at the moment, which is recording their own uh, audio? I have sort of two advocacies there, and it depends on what the skill is. Um, if you're doing a thing that is uh, uh, Alexa skill or assistant action um, that is uh, grounded in already existing characters that have a known sound to their voice. So, for example, um, a voice-based interactive game from a TV show. That makes very good sense to use the recorded audio there because the characters are already known to be from that show. We've all heard them before. Other side, you have a skill that talks about the weather forecast. Weather forecast is different every day. You could record every combination of 
partly cloudy, mostly cloudy, cloudy, windy, cloudy, rainy with following sunbeams. You could that actually would not take you a day in the booth. You could do that, but kind of why? Um, so in that case, since you're at, or stock prices, that's really hard to do. That clearly makes sense on a synthetic voice. Use the built-in Alexa voice that way. In between is an interesting question, um, and I think that um, uh, if you look at um, Skills that tend to get live information from other services. I cited weather, I cited stock. That could be well your company's e-commerce ordering experience for the rest. Um, that feel more functional in nature. Um, those kinds of things tend to want to go to Alexa built-in voice. And the things that are more um, entertainment focused or produced um, as an experience uh, tend to want to go to recorded voices. So pretty much what today. Um, and I, I, to answer your question directly, I would have to talk about a particular example, and then I could advocate one or the other. But the use case typically lends to one or the other, I would say. So that's the that's the the the, the voices and, and the various bits around that. What other kind of things do you think will kind of contribute to a, a good conversational experience? I, I think one of the things that I've um, you know, we've talked about for a while here at Full String, and it's exciting to see the CEO start to respond to this, is um, a lot of the folks who entered voice, you know, two or three years ago to begin building their first skills in action um, were technologists. And that's because they had access to the APIs and software development kits that uh, Google and Amazon and others put into market. And that's always good as first adopters to get a whole lot of computer science majors into a field. You can start building real stuff then, and I've seen a lot of that. Um, I think, though, that, that that alone is insufficient and that the best experiences um, are built, the combination of technical and creative contributions um, into the experience. Um, that's one reason why Full as a company exists, is to build um, you know, our, our, our platform and tools and market directly support that um, gift of both sides that need to contribute to a great experience in voice. Um, and I think a lot of the field is focused on the technologist's contribution. And I think in the end, um, those folks are not the world's most gifted at designing great dialogue and understanding dialogue flow and the tone, mood, and style of conversation um, and how to craft and design that. It's as if the mobile field had no GUI designers at all <laughs> and yeah. only had software developers building a mobile apps. And some would work pretty well. I think in general, the Reddit site would work as it does today. But broadly speaking, no. The great things like Instagram and Uber would not be there, let alone Customer Fans or Angry Birds would not show up. Um, so. To have both design and um, technology involved, uh, equally weighted, not 10 to 1 either way, um, into voice experiences is what we've seen be most successful in the field. Um, and they're very, very few. So, yes, I'm self-motivated by this commentary because we happen to offer one of the very few, if not the only systems that directly supports that kind of contribution. That's because we believe in that very firmly. Um, that lesson was very clear to me since spending 20 years at Pixar the reason that place is as successful as it is in the field that it is, is because you have the world's best computer scientists and the world's best animators working together to make the movies, not just one or the other. And so to have folks here who understand, who are working in the voice space, who understand dialogue, and the, by the way, make a direct point about that, writing dialogue is not writing, um, writing for audio dialogue, spoken dialogue is totally not writing for written dialogue. They're super different. Um, but how to craft a thing on paper, paper you know, in your skill code, that when it's through Alexa TTS voice, sounds like she's speaking naturally, is its own very unique skill, dialogue design. Um, and designers in general are really good at understanding user motivation, um, uh, how to handle, is a great example, um, how to handle your skill when the answers you get back are what you're hoping to get, and how to handle your skill, how to design it when the answers you get back are not what you expect to get. Um, those things are both need equal weight in the design and building process. And then on the technologist side, of course, you need great computer scientists to hook up to all the web APIs you got to call in to get your skills information in, um, to you know run your skills in market and, and, and design the actual code that runs them as well, too. And then Pulsing offers all those things on our platform and Converse. Um, but for folks who are building themselves, I just would encourage them really to have equally weighted teams of design and technology involved um, in building skills. And I think the best work comes out of that for sure. Mm. I've seen, I've, I've kind of, so if you go back far enough in my life, not that I've been around for a huge length of time, but probably maybe 10 years ago, 13 years ago, something like that, I used to do kind of a lot of music making and stuff like that and ended up working on 
some sound design for for a couple of films here and there and over time i got involved in writing and stuff like that and and have you know written various articles and things like that and then kind of moved a little bit into writing or trying to write sort of screenplays and stuff like that and i think you are absolutely 100% right in that as soon as you start writing dialogue it is entirely different to writing an article and i've heard that from a few people in the kind of voice space and i can entirely see the parallels but i think that with your history in films it would be interesting to get your perspective on it a lot of people have come have kind of compared creating a voice experience to creating a film in that the dialogue the sound design and all of those kind of pieces the creativity plus the technical side is all kind of seems fairly similar have you got any kind of thoughts on that again i could go for seven hours i'll try to come down to <laughs> minutes here. Yeah, lot. Um, and maybe i'll start with a, a very direct analogy that i think any of your listeners will get um by simply going they i'm sure in the, every one of your houses uh, out there in the listening world is the um harry potter and the chamber of secrets Grab the book, open up the page, pick a number, 75, whatever it is. Then you'll get the screenplay for the film and go to the same scene. So we'll grant you that movies don't have all the scenes and don't forget that. Find one scene that's in both things. So let's say when Harry and Hermione are picking one obvious one, right? Um, and look at what is said in the movie and what you read as the character is saying in the book. And they are totally, completely, utterly different. Um, so people who just go do that, go watch the movie, read the book again, and find a shared scene and look at the dialogue that is that is written to be read, J.K. Rowling's original work uh, on paper, and then see what the actors say in the film. And that bluntly demonstrates that dialogue that you read versus dialogue that you hear are very different um, pro- processes to create, and the end result super different. Um, is one blunt example. So before Oren carries on, I've actually done exactly what he's just said and I've gone to page 75 in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets so you don't have to. (laughs) This is what is said in the book and then I'm going to play you a clip from the film. So I'll start on page 74 first because this is where it all kind of starts. So they are driving, I don't know if you've seen the film or not, but they are driving in this flying car as all good stories start. (laughs) They're driving in this flying car and they're hurtling towards this tree and Harry shouts, watch out for that tree. And then there's a big crunch sound. Harry says to Ron, are you okay? And then Ron says, my wand, look at my wand. And his wand has snapped. Then the tree starts throwing them around um, and start bashing the car and stuff. And then Ron says, what's happening? Uh, And he starts shouting, ah. And then Ron shouts, run for it. And then Harry shouts, we're done for. And then Harry yells, reverse to the car. And then once the car's out of the tree, Ron says, that was close, well done car. And then the car drives off. And then Ron says, my dad's going to kill me because he's lost his car. So there's quite a lot of dialogue happening in that little scene. And here's the audio clip from the actual film. And this demonstrates what the difference is in dialogue between what's written in the book and what happens in the film. So here's the dialogue from the film. So there you go. There was dialogue in the film and it wasn't the same as the book. So let's get back to Oren now to explain a little bit about why. I'm going to talk about why now for a sec. Um, when you talk, as we're doing now, back and forth, um, senses are often incomplete. 
Um, you often, ums and offs, I just did jump in as well too. You often change topic in the middle, point I'm kind of thirsty, and get back to the conversation <laughs> here with you guys. Um, and when you're writing to be read, you don't tend to do that at all. Um, you can speak, if you look at a, you know, often soliloquies, going to take Shakespeare for a second, you'll go on for a page and a half, which becomes like a formal speech that is made to the audience. For Like no one ever does that in real life. It's crazy. Um, or video, you kick them out of the meeting. <laughs> so um, to make a thing sound believable and natural in conversation and design it is a very, very different skill um, than it is to just write narrative fiction or narrative nonfiction as the first difference here to there. Um, and I'll, I can go deeper, but I'll stop there for a second. Do you want, you want to explore that a little bit more, or do you want to... Mm, yeah, yeah, you can because one of the things that I found interesting that might kind of back up that point is that, uh, and I'll put the link in the show notes, is that the Westworld skill, the maze skill, yeah. the, there is 11,000 lines of dialogue that spans over 250 pages. And I found another link on screenwriting.io that says that screenplays are typically 110 to 120 pages. So I can see, is that, does that kind of back up what you were saying in terms of when someone's speaking, uh, yeah. they may speak for longer right, or do different things than if they're just writing one point in one sentence? Well, let's talk about the analogy you made between building voice experiences and making films. Um, I'll actually challenge you in that one, since I come from the, I can speak to both of those directly. Um, this is the interactive arts. And when you design a voice, uh, a voice app for Alexa, you know, good or bad, but it's hopefully a good one, um, you have to plan for what's set back and also plan for what you might unexpectedly hear back as well, too. That inter- the interactive art nature of that is very similar to video game design and creation because uh, in the video game space, one, a good game designer always has to contemplate what agency the player has. Um, why is it fun to play Clash of Clans or Angry Birds or Destiny 2 or pick your favorite you know, game out there? It's because you're having an impact on the end result. Are you good at playing the game? Are you bad? Are you fast enough? Is your strategy going to beat the either other players in the battle arena or the AI you're playing against as well, too? Um, and a poorly designed game doesn't do that at all, in which case people don't play it. In our case here in the, in the voice space, this isn't an interactive art. Um, we do not have control as the people, and, and I'm sure folks listening to, listening to your podcast, as designers of voice experiences, we cannot control what the end user is back to us. We can suggest, we can hope for, but we have to design both for expected and unexpected results and in the order we don't expect to get them in. So that's very, very different than making a film because a film is a linear art, much like also writing a book is. And in the act of film production, you always know what the shot was before you and the shot after you was. And when the editor scrambles it up, you know the next day that they change and you get a, you have full knowledge of that. So you're in control of what the audience gets, and more importantly, when it gets it, and how it gets it over your, for example, two-hour time frame. So a two-hour film, about 120 pages of script, about a page a minute, roughly speaking, and that's what a you know, movie would take to record. In the voice space, to record, do an experience like Westworld or Barbie's even bigger than that, you're, you need thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of dialogue because you're not sure the path that the person who's talking to your voice app will follow. You have to accommodate all the possible paths, the changes in topic, returning back to where you were before, and all the possible transitions that you may allow for. Um, if you've made it a linear experience, you're listening to actually a, a, a podcast. That would be the same thing. So folks listening to this can fast forward and rewind, but they can't change the order of our conversation. You can while editing, but the listener at the end can't. In a voice app, you totally can and if you restrict someone from being doing that in a voice app, you're just seeing Pandora. So what makes it interactive, therefore multiplies the number of lines you have to consider and write, the different paths you have to design, um, and the complexity and richness of all the interactive arts from gaming kind of come into the space, crossed with, now the part the analogy does make sense, the audio production uh, level of production value, you can certainly add in to get background music and sound effects and recorded dialogue or TTS synthetic voices. Um, and then it gets fancy. Do you overlap the sound effects with the dialogue and, and the soundtrack? If you're doing a bass soundtrack behind and someone changes topics on you, how do you change the soundtrack? Do you abruptly cut it? Do you duck it down and bring it up again? Do you blend in between? How many beats per minute are you? Does it sync up properly? Oh, drama ensues. Which mm-hmm. in film production and in podcast production will happen in the editing room as you'll choose to cut and reassemble parts of our interview together, play back, listen with your ear, 
adjust again and again and again. That has to be done in real time in runtime in a voice app. Like it is, and why it's always remarkable to me that in world-class AAA games today, pick your favorite Xbox or PS4 experience, whatever it is, how seamlessly they, they do those things together. They mix in uh, underlying sound beds with sound effects and dialogue as well, too, with sound effects all in real time. And you don't hear hitches in the music to playback. Um, to me, like FIFA, well, I was playing 17 and my stomach kicking ass at it, but <laughs> FIFA, FIFA games too long. Um, listening to the, uh, the commentators talk about the, the video game of FIFA, not the World Cup. Um, mm. Looking to the commentators they have record over, oh, it's a good shot. He missed, oh, off the paint. <laughs> like, how do they time that when, like, the close-up zoom of the replay while I'm playing the game is, like, a remarkable recreation of what it feels like to watch the World Cup live here as well, too. Um, but speaks to that complexity. It's very different than the interactive arts. Because, and to your question about dialogue length and number of script pages in Westworld. To accommodate all the paths of conversation, as well as the unexpected paths to multiply out sort of the audio assets you need, the lines of dialogue you need to pull off a credible experience. Hmm. So, but th- maybe that's a great question, by the way. Love that question. <laughs> maybe this <laughs> is yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's there's one follow-up, and this might be a little bit geeky, and it might be a little bit too on the kind of audio side, but. We'll we'll decide as to whether or not this is kind of worthy or not. But let's take that FIFA example. Presumably, what they're doing is they're dealing with multi-channel audio in some way, shape, or form. So you've got the the sound of the crowd behind, and that will sustain behind the whole time. And then the commentary will be a separate audio channel that will be more dynamic that will change as the game goes. So with with the, as it stands right now with um, like I say Google Home and Alexa. Correct me if I'm wrong, but can you only have one audio channel at any one time playing? That's super geeky, and I love that question. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have, right as uh, Pulstring is a leader in the field, we used our advantage in the field to regularly communicate to our great friends up in Seattle and Mountain View. They should totally implement multi-track audio mixed down on device. Today, that is not the case. Um, so you are right. Today, uh, you get a single audio stream that goes from Amazon, Google's, or Apple's, pick your favorite companies. Services device in your house, and that rec- so so then you might ask, well, gosh, Oren, how do people build skills to have background audio and sound effects and dialogue that changes back and forth? The answer is you mix down the combinatorial explosion of possibilities beforehand, so you can switch between every possible sound hookup you need live in runtime, which is silly sauce, and is really only doable for a skill that you're talking to for you know dozens of minutes. Not a thing that's going to be talked to for hundreds of hours. That's, that becomes infinite storage, effectively. Um, but to pull off like the, the same examples built in Pulsestring, um, SpongeBob experience built in Pulsestring, um, Destiny 2 integration was built in Pulsestring, um, Westworld, I mentioned a minute ago, built in Pulsestring as well, too, and other things before that. Um, when you start playing with a sound bed of a soundtrack that plays across um, smaller uh, dialogue lines, with sound effects to duck in and out. Yeah, we actually have to mix down every possible combination of those ahead of time, which is nutty, mm-hmm. uh, and then stream those down. I look forward to a world where, as you described in the video game space, multi-track audio exists, and then it'd be much easier to lay a sound bed down behind an experience, and that I think will actually very much change um, the enjoyment of interactive audio uh, through voice apps, um, the engagement with those apps, uh, and how uh, yeah, how appealing they are to talk to, uh, to talk to and listen to. The soundscape matters a lot. So I don't want to get out of time before we cover Pulsestring Converse because we, I think we've had so far the conversation has been free-flowing and absolutely immense. And 100% I think that people will be going to check out Pulsestring uh, Converse regardless because I think you've, you've absolutely, you know, I think you've taught us a hell of a lot so far. Let's move on to, to, to spend the last kind of 5-10 minutes or so on, on Pulsestring Converse. And we've spoke a lot about conversation design. We've spoke a lot about various techniques and, and, and what could be possible or is possible Tell us about how all of that culminates into pr- the production and your creation of Pulsestring Converse and, and what pul- Pulsestring Converse is and why it makes conversation design easier for people. So let me start with a simple definition. Uh, Pulsestring Converse is our enterprise um, SaaS product that we sell to large companies who want to build wicked awesome Alexa skills and Google Assistant actions and great voice experiences. There you go. 
So for folks who want that, please come visit Polestream.com and check it out. We're happy to talk to folks on the phone, hear what they, their needs may be, and help them really be successful uh, in the voice space. So with that said, um, why do we build it? Like, what's special about it? Um, I just got a riff on the previous you know, 45 minutes of our conversation and highlight a couple of points that um, I deeply believe. So the best voice experiences in market are built um, with a combination of technical and creative and design talent working together to execute interactive voice apps. And Pulse and Converse is strongly built with that philosophy in mind, which is grounded in 20 years making movies that way um, back at Pixar, and now seven years and more making computer conversation and interactive voice here. Um, we build a system that, that um, solicits that from all team members, um, actively integrates both of those contributions work together, and gives a place for the folks, the computer scientists who are building the web API integrations, a great place to work right next to and adjacent to the folks designing dialogue and the dialogue flows and designs there as well. And that kind of creative collaboration um, is totally essential, um, I think, to building great interactive voice experiences. Um, so that's a very important sort of philosophy behind Converse and that fundamental bridge between technology and creative contributions in the platform is sort of a meaningful reason to exist in the world and why we're so excited that folks use it and build great stuff with it. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, as we talk about, uh, you know, folks out there listening to this podcast may consider, well, gosh, I really want to call up Holstering and talk about this Converse thing for my, for my own use or not. And I guess I would challenge those people who are contemplating that to think about um, what today are the tools you give those two groups of people building your voice apps. On the technology side, you're probably working in some sort of software development kit um, from Amazon or Google in some developer environment, some IDE, you're developing software in probably. And those folks are probably pretty happy doing that. Software developers love hacking in IDEs. They do it all the time. On the other side, the design talent, are they typing dialogue into spreadsheet cells? Because they probably are. And if they are, you can do a way lot better than that. Excel or Google Sheets were designed for numbers. Yes, you can put words in them too, in fancy formulas. They were not designed for people to craft dialogue. They're spreadsheets. And if that's what they're working in, they're not seeing how the conversation is flowing. They're not working with the technologists to figure out what they can and can't do in your particular skill successfully together. They're not able to test and try it out quickly themselves and see if it works as they expect to or not. And you're not going to get the best work out of them. So that may be a helpful way for folks to figure out if they give us the call or not. If your spreadsheets are being deployed by dialogue writers, you should be calling us. Hmm. Immediately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, we'll put the number in the show notes. And when, what about conversation cloud? Yeah, so um, the conversation cloud is a technology that we have that operates skills actually in market. When you're using Converse, you're in a modern web application designing your conversation. And when you want to put the publish button, so you want to put it actually in the skills store and go to certification and then it's live in market, our conversation cloud is where your skill runs on Amazon Web Services. Um, and so now hopefully thousands or millions of folks are talking to your skill out in the world when each one of them says, Hello, how's it going to the Westworld skill? Our conversation cloud, using the design you built in Converse, will respond back as you have designed it to do that. Um, that's the most robust um, back-end cloud service in the market. It has hosted the most traffic of any company in the space, we're pleased to report, including the biggest experiences out in market today as well, too. Um, and there's all kinds of compliance. Folks who have compliance issues have to talk to you about that as well, too, um, as customers of ours, too. So, um, yeah, if you want a really robust um, enterprise-grade um, cloud operating your skills in market in conjunction with the Alexa runtime, um, that's what happens behind the conversation cloud when your skill comes to market. Fantastic. Dustin, yeah, you know, I just want to add one other sentence to, to tie this in together for a moment. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it's important to talk about this for a sec. Yeah. Um, I, earlier in our discussion, we talked about characterizing human conversation and understanding how we talk to each other so that we can bring a set of tools to the designers, uh, in front of designers to use to construct conversations. Those concepts exist both in Converse and the conversation cloud. They exist in Converse, so when you're crafting an experience, designing it, and molding it, you have access to things like interjections and segues and queries and all the concepts we use as we question and debate and change topics as real people do. In runtime, then, those concepts are also in our conversation cloud backend to make sure that your skill performs that way in market once you're out talking to hopefully millions of folks and they're saying a bunch of things that you expect and don't expect to say back, back and forth. 
that your skill operates in a believable, high-fidelity, credible, engaging way. Um, so that's an important tie amongst both the, you know, the, the web application you're designing in and the cloud services that's operating your skill in. Both share the same concepts, um, and that's important for us to offer that to our customers. That yeah. way. Wicked. Dustin, any closing thoughts or questions for Oren? No, I think this is great. One thing that I would be interested in from the, the tech side is what's the what's the process for a developer who wants to build on top of Conversation Cloud? Um, that's done by using Converse to the front end. Um, so uh, to do that, you're using Converse in your web browser and designing a conversation. And then in Converse, you're adding in perhaps the right JavaScript to call out to um, the other services you want to bring in runtime and make available. And then we operate that for you in a conversation cloud and launch your JavaScript code in a Lambda function on the side as well, too. So Converse is a development environment that both designers and software developers use to build voice skills. And then we handle the operating runtime for you um, in conversation cloud. Great. And you were speaking earlier about uh, you're in touch with the people in Seattle and Mountain View. Uh, what are you asking them for? What's, what would you like to see added to those platforms in the coming months or years? <laughs> yeah, multi-track audio. <laughs> I'll probably talk about that one. Um, would be great. Um, look, I, I think that both Amazon, Google, and in fact, also Microsoft um, and Apple have done a remarkable job um, in speech recognition and intent recognition. That is hugely advanced in the past several years. So I just want to throw rainbows and ponies over all those companies because that's that makes this space able to exist today when it wasn't there five years ago. Um, so making those things continually better is helpful. Um, they're already doing a phenomenal job at that. Um, and so uh, I just want, I guess, I'm just excited to be there. I don't really have, I don't have any needles to, needles to poke there, generally speaking. Um, I'm sure the whole field would benefit from better ways to discover new skills. I know that Amazon and Google and others are working on that right now in lots of ways. Um, and I'm sure given that Amazon runs Amazon.com and Google runs Google.com, they're pretty good at discovering themselves as companies. <laughs> so I'm excited to see how they develop that in the field going forward. So for people who buy an Echo or a Home or a HomePod in their house, as the case may be, um, to learn about new ways they can add new capability to those, um, their voice assistants is important for the whole field. Um, and I think that'll be a great advance in the next couple of years. We'll see. Great advance we've seen in the next couple of years by those by the platforms there. Well, fantastic. Wicked. Thank you very much. Oren, thank you so much for joining us. That was an absolutely epic conversation. That Thank you so much. That was really, really interesting. We'll put all of the polstering links in the show notes. And if you do send, if you want people to give you a call, if you want to send us your number, we can put the number in the show notes as well to make it a little bit yeah, easier. Yeah, uh, General Paul Piazza and get you all the information you guys need. And we'd love to talk to everybody who wants to build great skills. So thanks so much for the time, guys. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. And thank you as well, Dustin. Cheers for that. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, and are you are you all going to be uh, at Voice Summit in a couple of weeks? We are. Yeah, yeah. So that's a big conference. Oran will be speaking, um, as well as uh, we'll also be giving a demo of Converse, and then we'll also have a booth presence there. Oh, fantastic! Are you going to be there? Uh, be there? I, I'll be there. I'll be speaking and on a panel as well. Oh, super! Well, we should definitely meet. So why don't you bounce Jenna an email? We'll find some. Yeah, yeah. We definitely want to chat with you guys. Yeah, let's make it happen. Uh, Kane, I think you're going to be staying in the UK, right? I am. We are expecting the arrival of our little baby boy in the next few weeks. So I will be firmly planted in the UK awaiting his arrival. I will be following it online, though, uh, and I'll put the links to the uh, Voice Summit in the show notes so everybody can check that out. I wish you all the best of luck. That was Oren Jacob of Pullstring. If you are looking at getting into this space, do check out Pullstring Converse. I know we didn't really get a chance to get really in-depth about it uh, because the conversation was going in, in lots of other interesting ways as well. Um, but do check it out. It does look like a really interesting platform. Looks like some, there's some really good tools. There's some really interesting skills that are being produced using Pullstring. Uh, Oren mentioned the HBO Westworld skill. Uh, Destiny 2, which is a game, I haven't played the game, but I'm, I'm sure it's, I think it's a PlayStation game, an Xbox game and stuff like that. They've created a skill using Pullstring, which allows you to interact with the game on screen via your voice through Alexa. It's, it's a super powerful platform, do check it out. That conversation was an immense conversation. I really, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, 
love the love the the conversation around the not mimicking conversations and then also we went into speaking about how google duplex for example is kind of trying to mimic conversations and we kind of spoke about trying to make conversations natural and whether that's even important and then maybe the maybe the future may be that we can create synthetic voices that are entirely unique and entirely different might be a business opportunity in there actually if someone can come up with with that kind of uh, tool that sounds really interesting and I love the conversation that we were getting into around the audio as well. I mean, multi-channel audio uh, in Alexa and Google Home would be absolutely immense. The amount of the kind of engagement that you would be able to, to create in a game or something like that would be absolutely unbelievable. So hopefully that that will kind of uh, will happen in future. Who knows? Uh, and then we also spoke about whether to use your voice, whether to use your brand's voice, whether to get voice actors in, whether to use the built-in voices. Um, and it's all to down, all down with, uh, all to do rather with the kind of aims of the skill. If you've got really dynamic content like the weather that Oren said, uh, maybe you want to use the built-in voice. If you've got more static content like a game, for example, you might want to think about recording your own audio. But either way, you need to answer the question of what does your brand sound like, and I think that we've already seen more brands move into the space over the last few months, and I'm sure we'll see that continue in the next few months. Thank you, Oren, for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, thank you, Dustin, for co-hosting, and once again, thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later.